Trinity Church, Todd Arnett, lead pastor here. I am missing you today. My family and I are away for a week of vacation just to be renewed, refreshed, and we're really excited for that. However, today I wanted to uh, introduce our guest speaker. He's a friend of mine. His name is Tim Jacobs. Tim is the EFCA, Evangelical Free Church of America, our denomination. He's the EFCA West District Superintendent. Tim has been dropped in the deep end. He just began this job in January, and you know how the rest of 2020 has gone. So uh, we are grateful for the way he is navigating in his role of leadership, grateful for the way he's giving direction to churches like ours in this West District, and excited to have him here today. He's going to bring to you a message related to the church on mission, and I'm so excited for what you're about to hear. So let's give a great Trinity Church welcome to Tim Jacobs. Well, thanks so much, Todd. It is fantastic to be here today. I so wish that I could be with you in person, but this will have to do. I, as Todd said, serve as the district superintendent in the Evangelical Free Church of America of a region known as EFCA West, which covers about seven different states and has about 200 congregations. You can see the little map uh, over here that uh, shows our region. But, you know, a lot of people, when they hear the phrase evangelical free, they think that it means free of evangelicals, like gluten-free or sugar-free. In fact, sometimes that's the reason that they even go to an evangelical free church. Maybe that's the reason why you're here. You know, you looked at the website and you went, oh, finally a church that is free of those crazy evangelicals. Well, if that is you, then I am very sorry to crash your party, but that is not what the phrase evangelical free means at all. However, I think that the phrase is so important and I think that these two words are so critical that I came all the way out from Phoenix, Arizona to be able to talk to you simply about those two words because I think that they may be the most important words for this church and maybe even for you. So we're just going to talk about two words today, evangelical and free. That's it. We're going to keep it super simple. And so to help us answer the question, because really what I want to talk about is why are these words so important? What do they mean and why do they matter? Because if you are a member of Trinity Church or you align yourself in any way with it, then you are by definition an evangelical. So what, what do these words mean and why do they matter? Again, going to keep it super simple today. So if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 1. And so, you know, three quarters of the way through your Bible, open it up on your app or whatever. Now, as you're turning there, I want to tell you, though, if you consider yourself an evangelical, you have a bit of a PR problem, right? Because it's no secret that the mainstream media popular culture doesn't really think very highly of evangelicals. In fact, the term has almost become an insult, right? It's like, ah, you're one of those evangelicals, right? And it conjures up certain images in people's minds. For example, when you think of an evangelical, what do you think of? You usually think of like a white guy who votes Republican, owns a gun, drives a truck, and loves America. Now, I actually was preaching a message a little bit at a church further away, kind of out in a more rural area, and I dropped that line, and they all went, yeah! 
And, and I said, wait, wait a second. Hang on. No, no, there, there's nothing wrong with that. There, there's, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I mean, I'm, I'm a white guy and I, I used to have a truck and then I have kids. So now I drive a Honda Civic. But, um, you know, I live in a red state. I live in Arizona and I have a gun or two and, and, and I love America. So there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But none of them make me an evangelical. And none of them make you one either. Not one of them. So then we have to ask ourselves the question, what is then an evangelical? And we begin to get a clue in the book of Mark in the very first chapter, in the very first verse. And if you think about it, what Mark's trying to do, remember, he's writing a story of Jesus. All that we would need to know about the heart of God expressing himself to humanity through the person of Jesus Christ. And so this is how Mark chooses to begin the greatest story ever told. Here we go in verse one, it says this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, what I find really, really interesting about that is that the way he chooses to start that off is the beginning of the good news. And that phrase, good news, is really important. And the reason why is because in the original Greek language that this was written in, it is actually the word euangelio, which is where we get our word evangelical from. That's literally what it is means. It's, this, it's the same word as gospel. All gospel is, is good spell, good story, good message. That's what it is. And when you have a, a message, you usually have a messenger, which is why the word evangelical has the word angel in it, right? What are angels? They're messengers. That's what they do. Remember the Christmas story? You dress your little kids up in, in little angel costumes, put the little halo, and they go, hey, to the shepherds, we bring you good news of great joy for all the people. They're messengers bringing good news. And so that's what an evangelical is supposed to be. Now you can say, and, and by the way, it, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your politics are. It doesn't matter how you feel about the Second Amendment or Donald Trump. It doesn't matter how you feel about face masks, because that's the latest thing, right? Evangelicals don't like face masks. It has nothing to do with any of those things. It is simply this. If you are an evangelical, ready for this? You are nothing more than a messenger of good news. There you go. It, it is, by definition, a messenger of good news. Now, people say, well, it's more than that because you got to believe that the Bible is actually, you know, the word of God that's actually true. Well, of course we believe that. But it's not good news if it isn't true. And so, but if you boil it down to the essence of what it is, an evangelical is a messenger of good news. And so you really have one job if you are an evangelical, and that is to be a messenger of good news. This is reinforced then in verse 2. Let's continue reading. It says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So again, what's happening? God is sending John the Baptist as a messenger. So we get a little clue here. So we have a message, but then God is a sending God. That's what he does. It's very important that we understand that. In fact, 
There's a guy named uh, Dr. Craig Ott who teaches at uh, Trinity Divinity School, wrote this fantastic book actually on the mission statement of the Evangelical Free Church, a whole book about it. But listen to what he writes about the sending nature of God. He says this, God himself is a sending God, a missionary God who sent prophets and angels as his messengers and who ultimately sent his son as an agent of his redemptive purposes in the world. Listen to this. This is good. Today, he sends the church in the power of the Spirit as his people to further his mission of redemption and restoration. The church is indeed God's missionary people. And I love that quote because I think he gets it. He gets it. But by the way, this is all over Scripture. John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So the point is reinforced. I am a messenger of good news sent by ascending God. Now here's the thing I want to challenge you with. If that's true, why is it that so often we as evangelicals aren't perceived as people who bring good news, but as people who bring bad news. Why are we so often perceived as for being what we're against rather than what we're for? Now, I understand, I think a lot of it is because of, you know, maybe mischaracterizations or whatever else, but I think we should ask ourselves, are we really convinced that our core message is good news? And, I, and do we, are we super clear on what it is that we are for? Do we really know what we're for? And so that begs the question then, if an evangelical is a messenger of good news and really nothing else, then you got to ask the question, what is good news? What is the good news? And here, once again, Mark gives us a clue when we look at verse four. Look what it says. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And once again, I'm, I'm blown away by the fact that of what Mark chooses to lead with. Of all the things that he could have said, of all the ways that he could have introduced this Jesus and presented him as, he presents him as someone who's going to show up and who is going to forgive sin. Isn't that remarkable? To forgive sin. And so you could say that an evangelical is a messenger sent by God to tell people good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ sets me free from my sin. In other words, he sets me free from that which is killing me. And that's huge. If you think, let that sink in for a moment. Jesus Christ has come to set, because that's what sin does, right? The wages of sin is what? Death. And so Jesus Christ has come to set me free from that which is killing your, your sin and my sin. That's the thing that drives us into the ground. And so when Jesus comes and separates separate you from your sin, you have been released from it. You are, there's no way that you could possibly ever go to hell and you are free from the living hell that we so often put ourselves through, through our own guilt and shame that we tether to ourselves even throughout the course of our lives when we don't understand the degree to which we've been forgiven. That is a beautiful and amazing message and that is what an evangelical at least supposed, is supposed to be. 
Let me ask you a question. Do you remember the moment when your weight was first lifted? Christian, go, go back to that moment. Go back to that moment. Not, not just when you started going to church, not just when you, know, you heard a few things or maybe even when you prayed a prayer, but when it finally hits you that it wasn't about anything that you've done, but that as far as the east is from the west, so far as your sin been removed from you and all of that stuff that you carried and all those things that you regret and everything that, all these evil desires and stuff that you just were saddled with throughout your life to realize that Jesus stepped in and paid for those things and paid for them completely and you are free. Do you remember what that first felt like? Do you remember the rush of freedom and joy? How you were overwhelmed by the reality of grace? Do you remember that moment? You see, because Jesus paid it all, you don't pay for it again. It's what, it's what Martin Luther called the great exchange, right? Your sin for the righteousness of Jesus. And when your sin gets washed clean, and when your life gets washed clean, it's no longer just about a clean slate. It's no longer about the needle going to zero. No, you inherit the righteousness of Jesus as though the things he did were the things that you did. That's how God sees you. Not just as, as sinless, but is righteous. That's why it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, 24, check this out. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. By his wounds, you've been healed. Beautiful verse. Brothers and sisters, like that's gotta be, that's gotta be in the, in the little, uh, well, we used to say Rolodex a long time ago. We don't have those things anymore, but it's gotta be on the little, you know, memorized in my head. It's got to be there, right? Because this is who we are and what we believe. Listen to this guy, John Stott. This is beautiful as well. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself only where God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives which belong to God alone. God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. That's it. That is our message. That is the beauty of it. Everything else, my friends, is just details. It really is. I want to ask you, do you know that? Have you embraced it? Have you made it your own? Does it bring tears to your eyes to wake up in the morning saying, no matter what I've got going on in my life, God, I know I've got the fact that he, you yourself, bore in your body my sin so that I could die to sin and live to righteousness. And you know what? If that's, by the way, if that's true, if that's true, then the implications of that are so huge because that means that forgiveness and redemption is available to everyone. Everyone. Think about that. Even people that you don't like. Even those unsavory characters. You know, the ones that totally disagree with you on the face mask thing. You're like, how can they think that about face masks? Or the ones that, you know, you're like, how can you vote for that guy for president? He has lost his mind. I'll leave that one purposely vague. <laughs> I mean, this forgiveness is available to the people that just drive you crazy, right? 
Everybody, from members of Antifa to the KKK, from the, the, the avowed Marxist to the alt-right, to Karen who wants to go see the manager, to the shooter in Southside Chicago, and even to Derek Chauvin himself, were he to bow his knee in true and humble repentance for everything. You see, my friends, look, people can hate evangelicals, but the reason they should hate evangelicals is for what I just said, not for anything else. How? How can such rotten people receive such beautiful mercy from God? How can such horribly incompetent and dangerous people and evil people receive God's mercy? Because it's God's story. <laughs> and so you know what? As Christians, we had to own the mercy conversation. We had to own the grace conversation. It belongs to us because we presented Jesus who's handing out forgiveness like, like Oprah, man. Like you get forgiveness and you get forgiveness and you get forgiveness, right? Everybody does who seeks it and who recognizes their need for it. You know, I said a lot. You don't have to believe that. I mean, everyone has the right to believe what they want to believe. You can believe something. You just got to come up with something better. You got to come up with something that makes more sense. That's why I say I think Christians ought to own the forgiveness and, and reconciliation and redemption issue. We ought to own it. Because there's no other philosophy or worldview or idea or religion that even comes close. No other system that has a robust understanding of what it takes to set a man or a woman free and to make peace between people and between God. Nothing else does. So you know what? I'll take evangelical, man. I'll, I'll take that word. I'll wear that with a badge of honor as long as we know what it means. If that's what it means, tattoo that thing on my back. I'm good. So that's the first thing. Evangelical. But, okay, we got that word. Well, then what does the word free mean, right? So let's, let's talk about that. Because I said evangelical. I think that's a pretty important word. But what does the word free mean? Well, the strictest definition of free, as our denomination would talk about it, is basically that every church, like Trinity, which Trinity is a part of our denomination, is an autonomous church, meaning that there's no group outside that tells you what to do, that you have elders and staff, and you have Todd, and you have all these, and, you know, membership, and you guys govern yourselves under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be free. But I don't know, that's kind of a boring definition if I was just to leave it there. Because we all know this. We all know that with freedom comes what? Responsibility. And responsibility, in other words, if you're going to get the keys to the car, you better know how to drive it or you're going to lose the car. So to me, it's not just about being free. It's what you're free for. What you're free to do. What are you going to do with the freedom that you have? And so I would define freedom this way. Accepting the responsibility to be a bold and creative messenger. That's what I think, that's what I think the essence of it. So if evangelical is a messenger of good news, and the good news is that Jesus sets me free from my sin, everybody, even the most low-life human being you can think of, they're included, then the free part is, is how I execute that. That it's not just about freedom to do whatever you want to do. It's about bearing the responsibility to, ready for this, carve out a section of real estate in this case, Redlands and the surrounding area to say, hey, God, you know what? We got this. We got it. We're going to own this area. 
We're going to take responsibility to be bold and creative messengers that forgiveness is now available because of what you accomplished on the cross. We got it. See, because if you think about it, Jesus did say, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I don't know about you, but from the perspective of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, you can't get much further away than Redlands. It's kind of the ends of the earth from that perspective. So think about that. You were sent by God to take responsibility for this area. That is the responsibility. So we use our freedom for that purpose. It's important that we understand that because it hasn't, I don't know if we, we remember those kinds of things. Like for example, the Evangelical Free Church started actually as a group of kind of like rebels and rule breakers, you know? So take, for example, Sweden. In the nation of Sweden back in the 1700s, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the Protestant church controlled the whole country and basically said, if you want to go to church, actually you needed to go to church, and you need to go to a state-run church, kind of like a DMV for God. So it's a government-run church, and you have to go. In fact, they were so convinced that you had to go to the state-run church and so adamant about it that they passed a law in 1726 called the Conventicle Law that said you could not study the Bible in your own home. You could not actually read the Bible with other people in a small group. They banned small groups, right? Nice job, guys. This is what they did. They would fine you, banish you, or imprison you if you were caught in 1726. So your spiritual forefathers and foremothers, you know, that kind of you could trace your history back to kind of this line of thinking, and, and, and pretty soon you have Trinity here in Redlands, the same kind of heritage. They looked at that and they said, we're not going to do that. You're not going to tell us what to do. You're not going to tell us how to study the Bible. We will read the Bible whenever and wherever we want. It was like a Dr. Seuss book, man. We will, ride, we will read the Bible in a car. We will read the Bible in a bar. We will read the Bible in a house. We will read it with a mouse. That you will do it wherever and whenever we want, and there's nothing you can do to stop us. And you know what happened? When they were squeezed, when they were squeezed like that, the gospel exploded. And you know why? Because they got away from Everybody that said church has got to be like this. And they got back to the heart of the gospel. And they said, what do we mean when we, when we, what does the Bible actually say? Not all the stuff that we've, the trimmings that we put around it, but what is the message exactly? And when they were able to peel away all the stuff and get right down to the message, then it exploded. Right now, the church in America is getting squeezed. I mean, we just are. And I got to tell you something, and, and Pastor Todd, he, he didn't t- put me up to this. He didn't tell me to say this, but I will tell you this. I think it's probably harder to be a, a pastor of a church in America than probably any other time in history, maybe since the Civil War. And you know why? Because we are so divided. So our pastors, and I can say this from the perspective of a district superintendent, because I hear this stuff, our pastors are getting it from every side of the church. Somebody sends them in, hey, what are you doing Open up the church? You're going to kill grandma. How can you possibly hold public services? Don't you see the dangers? Then you get somebody else. Hey, what are you shutting the church down for? You bowing the knee to Newsom? Come on, have a spine, right? They're getting it from all sides. And I get it. I mean, it's, some of it's projecting uh, 
you know, projecting uh, fear and frustration on, onto leadership. And, I, you know, I mean, that's, that happens. It's a tough time. But can I just tell you, I know we're being squeezed right now, and I know it's hard, but the, but the gospel has an unbelievable potential to spread like wildfire because people are hurting. People are scared. People are asking questions, and there's disruption everywhere. And when there's disruption, the gospel usually has an amazing opportunity. It's when things get calcified and predictable that the gospel takes a back seat and secondary issues come up. But when everyone's afraid, everybody starts asking the real questions and wants to have the real conversations. And that's where you come in, my friends. That's where Trinity Church comes in. Because you can't meet in this beautiful place. You gotta sit in your living room. So who are we inviting to sit in our living room and say, hey, listen, I know it's hard. Can you just, can you just listen to what I found? Because it's good news. It's good news. And this is the kind of thing that we have the opportunity to be able to do. So let me ask you, how do you see yourself right now? Like, if you were to die, what would someone say that you were for? Oh, man, they were the, this person, man, all they talked about was Fox News. I think they were a Christian, but man, they were just like always about Fox News. This person, I think they might have, they talked about going to church stuff, but man, they were like anti-Trump, like you couldn't believe. Like that was like all they talked about. See, because I'm I'm just saying, you know, sorry, but all I know is the Bible I read told me that I I was created by ascending God who sent me to be a messenger of good news that Jesus separates people from their sin and pretty much other than that right so I just want to close with two two questions two challenges first of all are you an evangelical like ask yourself that like am I in other words like do I get this or have I been kind of like some weird concoction that's not even what the essence of that word is I've been aligning myself with all kinds of causes and ideas and almost getting more excited about that than what I've been saved from, who I really am. That's the first question. And the second question is this, am I free? Or or, or are you still kind of passing your own laws about the way church is supposed to be? We don't do this, it's not church. Hmm. You know, are you still... Are you still passing your own laws and opinions and saying it's not, it's, we're not doing it right unless it's done like this? Or are you saying, wait a second, we're getting squeezed right now. This is an opportunity to get back to the root and the heart of the gospel and the people that God has placed around me. See, as I said before, we have the opportunity to own this. And you know what? It's time for some good news, isn't it? It's time for good news. We have the opportunity to own the issue to combat racism. It's, it's, it's in our, it's, it's, we have all the ingredients for it. To deal with racism, to deal with fear and loss, we have it in the pages of this book. And I, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but we, it's not because of anything. We didn't make it up. We were called to it. We just have it. This is better than anything out there. It just is. So it's time for us And maybe it's time for you to surrender some stuff. And maybe it's time for you to say, you know what? 
Um, I'm going to stomach some things, maybe on social media or in conversations with family, whatever else. I'm going to stomach some things that I, I could respond to and lose the relationship, but I'm going to absorb a little bit of that so that I can keep the relationship and, and somehow through all of that, that person can know that whatever you say, whatever you, however you end up is fine, but I just want you to know there's a God who loves you more than you'll ever know in your life. And that's what I'm most excited about, and that's what I'm most passionate about. And that's what I hope you don't die missing. Man, what we could do. And what is happening. I love to hear the things that are happening, what your church is doing, serving people, loving people. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Hey, church, let's kick it up. We got this. We can do this. The time is now. The iron's hot, so let's strike. People need this more than ever. Let's pray together. God, you've called us to be evangelical and you've called us to be free. Thank you for the power of those two words. Telling us, giving us our identity and our operating plan, our responsibility. For those watching right now, who maybe are like, wow, you know what, I've never really heard it like that, or I need to do some business with God. God, would you just draw them, and right where they are, they could just reach out and say, God, I need that forgiveness that Tim was talking about. I need you to stand in my place and pay the debt I cannot pay, but I know I owe. God, I'm done. I'm done trying to act like I've got it all together. I'm done pretending I'm a good person. I'm done with this whole charade. And I'm coming to you with a heart of repentance. And I'm saying today, I want to receive the beautiful grace of Jesus and let his blood flow over all my sins and cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness. And for those in here, those watching and, and all over who, who've already maybe prayed that prayer, God, but we've been, we've been letting the, the spirit of the age cloud our judgment and our understanding about who we are. God, we repent of that. And ask that you would give us the discipline and the courage to be incredibly precise on what it is we actually believe and what the true message is that will set people free. In Jesus' name, amen.